We return to bringing light into darkness with our special guest, Dr. James Kahn, as he describes the intentional confusion that is generated by the health industry around health reform. Um, in fact, I wrote a piece in Health Justice Monitor a few months ago called Medicaid News Noise. And what I did is I just went into Google News and I searched for articles about Medicaid and then I just listed the top line reporting from each of those articles. And it was astounding. On that particular day, there were scores of articles about all of the complexities of managing Medicaid, health insurance for the poor, just on that topic. And this tremendous confusion makes it really hard for people to understand what's going on with our horrendous system. But what is going on with our horrendous system, particularly with the growing reliance on high deductible health plans, is that to an increasing extent, people are delaying seeking care. And there are also important indirect effects. The anxiety caused by the uncertainty of not having health insurance contributes to the despondency mm -hmm. that we see around the country. And that contributes to the terrible opioid pandemic that we have where legal and then non-legal opioids are abused. And we are seeing a tremendous, very sad increase in overdose deaths for people who are using opioids as essentially a way to kill their pain, which is induced by all of the anxiety about their financial and economic insecurity. So it's, it's a cyclical thing. And it's, it's really horrendous that our, the evolution of our insurance system is contributing to that. There are, depending how you count it, uh, on the order of 25 to 30 million uninsured. And if you look over longer time periods, people who are uninsured at least part of the year, that goes up even higher. But the number of people who are underinsured, which means these high deductibles or high out-of-pocket expenditures, given their income, is growing every year. And it's been well-documented and well-studied that those problems with their insurance coverage lead to skipping and delaying care for financial reasons. And that is just, to me, inexcusable. If we didn't know how to insure everyone affordably, then I could understand that we might be struggling. But we have, as you said, in the OECD, literally dozens of countries, all of which insure everyone with the same exact insurance. So they don't buy into this myth of choice among insurance plans. They just have a single comprehensive insurance plan that everyone has. Sometimes it's paid for directly by the, by the government. Sometimes it's required by the government, but paid through work. But everyone has the same insurance and they all spend less than us. Some of them spend only half as much, but all of their longevity statistics, that is how long people can expect to live are better in those countries. And some of that is about uh, wealth and income disparities. So poor people in the United States, people of color, live for less time. But if you compare the life expectancy of people living in wealthy counties, wealthy neighborhoods, to the life expectancy in other countries, 
our rich people are living for less time than the typical person in the other countries where they provide good insurance and good access to care. Our system is underperforming in every way you can imagine, except one. Mm -hmm. It's generating huge profits to shareholders and to overpaid CEOs. So that's really what we need to, to deal with is to get profits out of our system. Let me clarify, make sure I understand what you're saying. So you're saying that even within our country, we started to show off comparing the wealthiest 10% versus the poorest 10% and showed a 14-year difference in life expectancy for those born in 1950. But what you're saying is if you take the richest 10% in the United States and compare it to the richest 10% in some of these other Western European or OECD countries, even when you compare those groups, we are not living as long. And then when you compare the whole pie, we certainly are way down the totem pole, so to speak, of those issues. Is that what you're saying? Yes. The, the research that I'm referring to, again, covered in Health Justice Monitor, is done at the neighborhood level, at the zip code level. So uh, they compared wealthy zip codes in the U.S., the longevity there to other countries where they have universal health insurance. And even with that comparison, we did not perform as well. So while the lack of good insurance is hurting the poor, most of all, and middle class, it's not leaving the wealthy unscathed. So it really, what the wealthy should be doing is saying, let's get universal health insurance because it will help all of us. Right. It should be a unifying idea. And in this time of unbelievable political polarization, I am trumpeting the idea that universal health coverage has some potential to help unify us. It would, as I said, help on the health outcomes for all of us. It would also remove the tremendous anxiety that people have about health insurance and about medical debt, which afflicts four in 10 adults in the US, would get rid of all that. And I think that would help us be a little bit more sympathetic to our neighbors who might be in a different political party. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, you know, what, what you're saying, and I, and I don't mean to circle back, I don't know if you're familiar with this weathering concept that I alluded to at the beginning by Arlene. Dr. Arlene Geronimus, but she talks about how if I am an African-American and just I have to live in a racist society, the angst, the psychic pain creates some lifespan deficits, but also just the stresses that you're talking about socioeconomically, she also includes those as well, clearly do the same thing. I think the opioid epidemic is a combination of some of that, but also, of course, we followed that very closely some 10, 15 years ago with Purdue Frederick, and they were misbranding the addictive potential of their Oxycontin that led to hundreds of overdose deaths throughout the country. They paid out over $700 million in, in lawsuit monies to a bunch of states, but they made billions during the same period. So that whole system itself almost encourages that type of behavior, but I don't mean to go off the tracks here a little bit. I want to come back 
Can I just interject uh, one one thought in support of what you're saying? There is very good evidence that chronic stressors, such as the kind you are are talking about, experienced by people of color, um, have very important damaging effects on our physiology. And that's what's the mediating factor. That's what's contributing to the health harm and the shorter longevity that we see in people who are exposed to ongoing daily worries and challenges. And I absolutely, there's, there's very good evidence for that. There's also good evidence that when those stressful events happen during childhood, you get a phenomenon called adverse childhood exposures. And there's also very good evidence that when these stressful events happen during childhood, uh, they can create lifelong health harm. And those are called adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. Mm -hmm. These have been studied extensively, including by our recent Surgeon General here in California, Dr. Burke Harris. And it is an incredibly damaging phenomenon that basically starts life off with a big challenge, harmful challenge to the physiology that people experience. And of course, that's much more likely to happen in poor families with greater day-to-day stresses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that Dr. Arlene Geronimus's work, that weathering, I don't know if you're familiar, I'm sure you probably are, but just for our audience's sake, the science behind that, a lot of it was driven apparently by DNA, like t- the telomere length based on being constantly under stress and all of these different categorizations of stress, whether it's race related, whether it's socioeconomic related, whether it's just you know anything that generates the uncertainty, like you were saying, so many people are are what, just a one medical condition away from bankruptcy? Absolutely. I, I, I know that work a little bit, not as well as you do. And it's really important work. And I think the, the overall picture is that these very serious life stresses impair health. Right. And there's a lot that we need to do about that. It's a challenging area, not easily resolved, but we need to commit to it. To me, what's amazing is that we have this challenging area, health insurance, that is easy to resolve because more than 30 countries around the world have shown us how to resolve it. It's a known solution. This isn't speculation or hypothesis. We have examples all around the globe. Why do we not follow it? Profits. Yeah. Has there ever been a country that has gone to a Medicare for all model from a private model that we're talking about and then returned to the private model. I don't believe there is such a case. I'm uh, sorry, I don't know of any. And there yeah, are yeah. and there are quite a few countries who have done the done the opposite. They've gone from a free market approach to a universal coverage and then of course stayed there. And if you look at satisfaction levels, they are much higher in these countries. Satisfaction with health insurance, and health care. There's a well-known conservative commentator on the PBS NewsHour, uh, David Brooks. I don't agree with everything David Brooks has to say. In fact, I disagree with a lot of what he has to say. But he did say something which I really appreciate a few months ago. He said, 
look, he says, single payer works. I know I have friends who live in these countries. They like their health care a lot. They would never give it up. He went on to say he didn't think it was politically feasible, but at least he acknowledged the obvious fact that we know how to solve this problem. Well, it's not politically feasible because all the money is controlled by the politically connected people that make a killing off of this. I don't want to go there right now because with your expertise, I'd rather continue to focus on the nuts and bolts issues sure. subject. And I want to remind our listeners, we're talking to the distinguished health researcher, Dr. James Kahn. He's a professor at the Institute for Health Policy at the University of California in San Francisco's Institute for Health Policy Studies. And Dr. Kahn, let me ask you this, because we have had Medicare for All in, in another form. It's, it was namely under the Veterans Administration before it started getting a little corrupted. But I remember talking to a couple of fascinating, well-informed doctors. One was an epidemiologist, but he was talking about how functional the system is when you can go into like the VA and be like a 65-year-old male. I'm a little overweight. I have hypertension. What's the best blood pressure medication to use? That they have a whole database. With this huge database, they can isolate men of the same age and the same weight and can determine what has been the most successful blood pressure medication for this group of people. To show you that at your fingertips, nowadays in our private run system, you know, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. Doctors don't have the updated records that give you the full history of everything that you've been through and done, which should be at their fingertips immediately. And in addition to lacking those types of data, now if you want to, if you're an elderly person and don't aren't comfortable with the computer and going online to set yourself up an appointment, my God, it's 50 minutes. I've been doing it myself here in Austin, just on hold, just to get in to try to figure out how to get an appointment here in the in the middle of the COVID type of deal, you know. And it's and 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 then. Uh, everything else connected to that. But can you speak to the elements of the Veterans Administration? And really, I think Medicare for all would be just a kind of extrapolating those finer good elements that when it was really working well to the whole population. Can you, can you speak to that issue about the Veterans Administration program? Sure. Uh, you are right that the Veterans Administration has decades of performance that's by the important measures that we look at in, in health services research, far superior to other parts of the health system. The level of coordination of care, the availability of good data, all in one electronic health record, the commitment of the providers who work on salary for the VA, all of that work together to create a quality of care and an ease of navigating the system that was unmatched in other parts of the health system. It's not only a, a single payer, but it's actually a what we call a national health service model uh, insofar as the providers work for the VA, just like in Britain, where the providers, many of them, work for the National Health Service. So the irony is that our 
real experiment with socialized medicine is the VA. Now, as you point out, that's changed in recent years with various efforts to privatize parts of the VA, again, driven by desire for profit. But the VA is, in my view, uh, really important to cite as an example of what we could accomplish by having a single electronic health record, by simplifying the insurance process, uh, by removing incentives from doctors to either deny care or do excess care by paying them a salary. But a single payer would also very much permit private doctors and private hospitals to continue to exist. But many of the features of the VA would be incorporated, and this would lead to higher quality of care. Uh, The most important is, of course, removing financial barriers to care. But on top of that, you would be improving the availability of data, both at the individual patient level and then for public health purposes as well. And that is a really important advantage. Well, listen, we only have you for a few more minutes, Dr. Khan. Let me ask you this. And, And I wanted to just highlight, which is a stunning finding that you have scientifically validated, but that between the beginning of the pandemic until mid-March of 2022, universal health care could have saved more than 338,000 lives from COVID-19 in the United States, not to mention the, the money savings, which is very, very significant. And this, if people are interested, is from a new study that was published in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. And what I wanted you to speak to in our last couple of minutes is, so we're 4% of the population. We, at one point, were some 20% or more of the deaths in the world, okay? And then that's kind of slowed down to about 15% of the deaths of the world. But when you compare the United States, not to the world, but to the other OECD nations, the differences get magnified much greater, I would suspect. Can you speak to that issue? Does that make sense, what I'm asking? It does make sense. And I am going to do something I've never done before is I'm going to go look up the very latest COVID statistics and see if I can answer that question right now on air. And I'm going to the Johns Hopkins website, which tracks all of this, and case fatality ratio for the U.S. Here we go. We want deaths per 100,000. Okay, I'm now at a website. If anyone's interested, it's coronavirus.jhu.edu slash data slash mortality. And what it says is the highest death rate per 100,000 up to the moment is Brazil. Number two is the U.S. Number three is Chile. Then we have Greece, Italy. The United Kingdom is about 20% less than the U.S. Spain is about 30% less than the U.S. France, likewise. Germany, about half of the U.S. Thailand, about 70% fewer deaths per 100,000 than the U.S. Australia, even lower. India, lower. New Zealand, lower. Right near the bottom, Taiwan, single-payer system, which started in, in the early 90s. So you can see, just as you said, we are 
with the exception of Brazil, we are suffering the highest number of deaths per 100,000 population. And if you reimagined this graph with 26% removed, if we had universal insurance, that would put us, I'm just going to check this number, that would put us about at the level of Portugal, Mm -hmm. uh, right around with Spain and France. So you see, it really does make a difference. COVID Mm -hmm. was a terrible pandemic, many reasons for deaths. But why, 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 why should we exacerbate the problem with an expensive and dysfunctional health insurance system? You have an answer for me, Pedro? I do. And I think it's because it's mainly African-American and some people of color dying, not affluent Anglos. And our health system does not prioritize health. It prioritizes profit. And so it accomplishes what it's set out to accomplish. Can you imagine the millions, if not billions of dollars that those advocates to fight against Medicare for all spend each year lobbying their cause in confusing issues in order that we remain the only advanced nation of the world without a Medicare for all. And if we took that money, just the marketing money, just the lobbying money, and invested that into health care, how many more could afford the health care that we all deserve? It truly is staggering. Hey, look, we're about out of time. Can you spend about a minute or two? If people want to access your work, Dr. Khan, number one, you've, you've mentioned a health justice journal. I wanted you to also point people towards these uh, most recent articles and studies that we've been extrapolating from. Uh, sure. Can you, can you please do that for us? Well, it, it is healthjusticemonitor.org. Your v- listeners can read it online or just sign up for an f- email. It comes out about three times per week. And uh, if you're interested in delving into the minutia of these academic articles, then the easiest thing in my world is to go to something called PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D, PubMed, and type in con space J-G, my last name, K-A-H-N, and then my initials J-G, and you'll see what I've been up to, including the article and the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences on the added COVID deaths due to lack of insurance and a variety of other research, including on how we can afford single-payer health care. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Khan. It's been a great, great privilege and a great education to spend this time with you tonight. We will stay in contact with you and your work. And this is a pressing issue that needs more airtime than we could provide tonight. So we'd love to have you back. And thank you for your work. Well, thank you for what you're doing. This is a Terrific show, and thanks for the opportunity to talk with you. Okay, outstanding. Okay, well, we'll see you next week. Don't be late. Also, we need you to switch on over to the internet if you're not already there to access Lost in Paradise coming up next on 91.7 KOOP. It's a show that evolves around laid-back grooves, both old and new, nothing too slow or fast. Enjoy your time with Chad D. As we do every show, we take you out with Land of Naivety. See you next week.
Check out. 